0: Hi, I'm Hal, and this is the Living in a Body podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Today's episode 23, and it's basically the audio and the transcript of a story that happened on WKSU IdeaStream this week, telling my, my story of living with MECFS. Thank you so much for listening By the way, I know I ask this every week, but this is a really important story. I'd love it if you would share this with one friend. You know, help spread the word of the millions missing living with this devastating illness, myalgic encephalomyelitis. I appreciate you. Uh, Enjoy the story. It's a 30-minute listen.
1: All right, bye-bye. It is the sound of ideas from Ideas Public Media. I'm Rick Jackson. Thank you for joining us this Tuesday. Hope you had a safe and relaxing holiday weekend. Today we'll be talking about the roughly 2 million Americans who suffer from a poorly understood, often debilitating illness, chronic fatigue syndrome. Actually, its full name is myalgic encephalomyelitis, the slash chronic fatigue syndrome, generally abbreviated as ME CFS. This hour will begin by meeting a local musician who's been documenting his struggle with ME CFS for years through social media. And while his story may sound rare, health experts predict that more people will have to deal with chronic fatigue syndrome in coming years because it's one of the most common symptoms being reported by the roughly 20 million Americans with long COVID. First, we'll hear about though, what it means to live with M E CFS disease from a local musician. And around fifteen minutes, we'll take your comments and questions as we bring in a researcher who's leading efforts to better understand this devastating condition. If you'd like to join us for that second segment of the show, the number would be 866-578-0903, or 216-578-0903. You can also email us, SOI at ideastream.org, and you may tweet us at Sound of Ideas. So here's Ideastream's public media's Jeff St. Clair with the story of a friend who's living with chronic fatigue syndrome. Hi everyone, my name is
0: Hal Walker. I've been living with myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome in a very severe form for the last six months. What is myelo... Myalgic encephalomyelitis. It's not just that I'm tired all the time. It's not that I'm working too hard and not taking care of myself. It is a It's a different kind of fatigue. It's a different kind of illness. When I go to the doctor, I'm perfectly healthy. You know, blood pressure is perfect. All the tests are perfect, but for some reason, I'm 90% bedridden.
2: I've known Hal Walker for around 30 years, and until late last year, I didn't really know what he was going through, that he was dealing with a debilitating and poorly understood chronic illness. It's kind of like a
0: flu-like weakness. You know, my ears are ringing. My brain is very sensitive. My eyes are very sensitive looking at
2: screens. Um, but mainly I just feel like I got to go lie down. Hal plays guitar and piano. He's a singer and songwriter. But especially is playing instruments that fit in your pocket. Like the jaw harp. Before the pandemic, he made a living performing in schools.
0: I'm a teaching artist, and I worked with several different organizations, like the Center for Arts Inspired Learning. They've put artists in schools. And then I also worked with the Ohio Arts Council as an artist in residence. For 20 years now, I've been
2: doing residencies in schools. Hal says right before the pandemic, a new door opened up.
0: I was giving an assembly for some fifth graders at Sacred Heart Elementary School in Akron. And during the question and answer time, a little fifth grader raised her hand and she stood up and she said, are you on TikTok? And I said, no. And she said, you should be. I went home that night and I downloaded TikTok. And then on January 1st of 2020, I posted my first video. And I basically have posted at least one video every day since then. Before TikTok blew up and became such a big thing, I got right under the radar and made a name for myself before the pandemic started
2: and now i have 1.6 million followers how walker's breakout hit features an obscure instrument from southeast asia a sort of bamboo harmonica called the can it's called low-key gliding This groove caught fire with young TikTok artists and producers whose remixes attracted millions of views. One of the fans of low-key gliding is the band Coldplay's frontman, Chris Martin. Hal recently met with Martin. This is a video of that lesson, posted, of course, on TikTok.
0: Keep your thumb down. <laughs> so fun. Oh, my God.
2: But this is not the story I'm here to tell. That story starts in a different time and place. Last September, Hal reached out to friends to help him survive his debilitating episode of MECFS. I was worried about Hal. He was in a bad way. And so I did what any radio producer friend would do. I gave Hal a microphone and a recorder and asked him to record what he was going through. And here is his story of living in a body in rebellion. hey jeff
0: it was a very rough day today my symptoms keep getting worse by these things called crashes my sister encourages me to call them temporary shift in symptoms but they feel like crashes And I keep having them like every five or seven days. And I don't know why I'm having them. And none of the doctors know why I'm having them. None of the doctors have anything to offer to stop them from happening. So anyway, I had about four or five days of kind of getting, adjusting to the new normal and... I was feeling a little bit better about that, like, okay, I can handle this. And all of a sudden, my whole body just uh, filled up with adrenaline. And my heart rate went up to about 92, 95. Here I am in the middle of a crash. No particular reason. Yeah, they say crashes can happen 2 days after whatever triggered it. So it's very hard to know what is triggering it. This afternoon's been a very difficult afternoon. I've been very sad, very kind of hopeless, very despondent. But I just wanted to tell you about this rough day I had. Check, one, two. Check, one, two. I spend most of my day in fear. Like, I think of this illness as a monster. And I'm very afraid of it. I'm especially afraid of it getting worse. But my daughter was suggesting that this is an exciting time for me. Like, if you didn't know that there was something on the other side of a birth, if you didn't know there was a baby you would go through all this pain and it would be so much pain but then you would find out on the other side that there was something very beautiful that came out of it. So I guess I much prefer looking at my situation like that but the truth is I I more often have a more tragic view of it like I'm dying And, you know, with all my, all that potential I had was lost, and... But I, I'd like to shift my thinking to, this is an amazing opportunity to birth. And and along with birthing comes a lot of pain. Okay, I'm out of breath now.
1: Hey. So,
0: I was just thinking, I have spent the whole day in bed. I was just crying a little bit and thinking, how long can my body handle this? How long can a body stay in bed without totally falling apart? I mean, I'm already falling apart. And I'm this amazing inspiration on Instagram and TikTok. (laughs) All these kids are inspired by me. I was just thinking, I don't want to be an inspiration. I don't care about being an inspiration. I just want to have my body back. (laughs) I just want to have my body back. challenging day today. I had the social day yesterday. I had a friend over for several hours, and engaged in some whispering conversation. And I don't know if that's the cause of today, but I'm very, very weak today. Very little breath for speaking. I guess I just want to say one thing, who I was has died and now I'm not who I thought I was and my job now is just to survive. Mm. I'm not feeling very inspired right now. I'll tell you more later. So I've been questioning whether my role in social media has had any role in the worsening of my illness. You know, I don't know why I keep having these crashes, why I keep having these sudden downturns of symptoms. You know, and they they talk about stimul- the stimulus of the brain, and how oh, our brains are just so sensitive. And I'm extremely sensitive. Even just the slightest thought gets my nerves on edge. I have a highly sensitive nervous system with this illness. I always did, but now it's just insane. The, the smallest amount of activity Or the smallest anxious thought can just set off a whole body reaction. This morning was one of the hardest mornings of my life. I was very ill. Very, and some very dark thinking. I guess the point of my post was, you know, I get excited about something. I write about it or I talk about it. But then I have to face the hours in the day of being by myself in a dark room, feeling like a time bomb is about to go off in my body. Everyone thinks their illness is the most difficult, but they actually say that ME-CFS has the lowest quality of life. And the number one cause of death is suicide, so. But I'm surviving one day at a time.
2: All right, bye. It was around this time that Hal's friends and family started planning a fundraiser to help him cover his living costs and raise money for ME CFS Research. 25 musicians from all over the country, including Coldplay's Chris Martin, signed on for a love song for Hal.
0: Well, it's been several days since I've recorded anything. I've been in this wild kind of social media frenzy. In the last three days, I've received 25 million views on TikTok. And... (laughs) All old material and stuff from the files. And it sort of kept me occupied. About five days ago, I had a weird adrenaline surge at night. I woke up in the middle of the night and had this experience of my body dumping adrenaline. You know, my whole body just filled up with this crazy energy and really uncomfortable. But then ever since then, I've been feeling a little better. It's very tenuous, you know, it's... I don't really believe this energy, because it's weird energy, it's weird adrenaline energy. And I'm, I'm sure a part of it is fueled by this social media craze that's happening, where I'm just achieving some sort of uh, legend status <laughs> on tiktok and instagram all the while i'm bedridden and i'm telling my story on social media i'm being very honest i have this opportunity to, i have this amazing platform 1.3 million followers on tiktok and they're all many of them are learning about MECFS for the first time all right i'm glad i picked up the mic again i'll try and keep it going more regularly Bye.
2: so how did you feel right after the benefit concert earlier this year <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the right question well I kind of want to catch up? Because it seemed that you had gotten better. You were able to travel.
0: Yeah, I, I saw some improvement after the Benefit concert, and that improvement came crashing down within the last month, pretty much completely bedridden. I want to call attention to all the people who are suffering in silence and uh, you know who probably don't have the right care, who You know, have lost their jobs, have lost their income. but I just want to call attention to all the millions that are missing. And uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity to have
1: a little platform to spread the word. You're back with The Sound of Ideas on WKSU, Idea Stream Public Media. I'm Rick Jackson. Thank you for being here. Today we're talking about a disease myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is also known as chronic fatigue syndrome. We heard from local musician Hal Walker in the first segment of the show. Our Jeff St. Clair shared that story. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for doing
3: that. Hey, Rick. Good to be with you. I just want to mention that all the music that we heard in that piece was uh, written and performed by Hal.
1: That was wonderful. Good job. Thank you. Also, here is Hal Walker. Hal, good morning. Thank you for the time today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling today? Well, I'm not feeling so well. Okay. Well, thank you again for taking the time to go through this next few minutes with us. Also joining us, Linda Tannenbaum. She's CEO, founder of the Open Medicine Foundation. That's a research consortium looking into chronic fatigue syndrome. Linda, welcome to The Sound of Ideas. Thank you so much. Thank you for so much for including me. To join this conversation, to add your thoughts, 866-578-0903. You can also email us, soi at ideastream.org. You may tweet us at Sound of Ideas. Now, we just, yeah, I did hear more of Jeff's profile. We'll talk with Hal more in just a moment. But first, I want to talk to Linda for a brief explanation of the name, myalgic encephalomyelitis. It's a mouthful. What exactly do all those terms mean?
4: Oh, well, thank you for asking. Uh, Just just before I begin, I just want to thank you, Hal, for for sharing uh, really what you're going through. It really described the, dis- the disease from a personal nature and really kind of uh, helps everybody understand what this is because it's a mouthful, myalgic encephalomyelitis. And it used to be called chronic fatigue syndrome mainly here in the United States and myalgic encephalomyelitis in Europe and other places. Um, and, and basically it has to do with the inflammation of the brain and the muscles and and so those words together myalgic encephalomyelitis uh, is is how that came to be and here it was called chronic fatigue syndrome by the cdc which gave it that name in the mid-80s because one of the main symptoms was really uh profound fatigue uh, and there's so many other symptoms but that's what they ended up calling it which ended up being a very bad name actually cuz chronic fatigue syndrome kind of minimalizes what this horrible disease is. Yeah, we you
1: mentioned the main symptoms there what we see but do we know what the cause is? You mentioned brain.
4: It's it's a, it's a good question and and the million dollar question we don't know what the cause is which is what all this research is all about because they're trying to find the cause so they can find basically biomarkers to set up treatments, and uh, they haven't found the cause yet. So basically, between genetic and environmental factors, uh, where is the cause? Most of the people who get this disease, about 80% or so if they want to give some statistics to it, uh, it's caused by a a post-viral or post-infection. Uh, illness and uh, which is why we're so concerned about this with with COVID and long COVID because most people have have uh, initiated this by uh, a viral illness or uh, some type of illness.
1: Hal Walker wanted to ask you about your experience with ME CFS. I I know that as we discussed diagnosis that's not the right word, but what were you told? How did you find out that this is what you were suffering? Well, the original
0: onset for me was in 1992 and I had a sudden onset of weird symptoms in my body. Well, I had been a long-distance runner, and suddenly, overnight, I was couldn't run across the street without needing to lie down. And on my own, I learned about chronic fatigue syndrome. Years later, I learned about the name myalgic encephalomyelitis. And in northeastern Ohio, it's almost impossible to get a diagnosis of ME/CFS. But uh, you know, most you know most doctors have never heard of it or don't don't have any it's it's kind of a non-diagnosis and it, you know, once you have the diagnosis doctors wouldn't know what to do with it but I have recently gotten a diagnosis of MUCFS and I'm not sure what good that does but I've known I've had it you know there's a whole community of people
1: that I relate to and I've known I had it for years but no one was willing to tell me that's what I had Linda, he brings up some interesting points and he specified that he couldn't get a, a research person to talk about it or give him a diagnosis here in Northeast Ohio. Is that common around the country, the idea that doctors don't know, the idea that there are regions where it's just not studied?
4: Yes, uh, in fact, even the CDC says that up to about 90% of, of people aren't even diagnosed because doctors just have no idea what this is. and. And as Hal talked about earlier, uh, all of the tests that a, a particular a clinician might uh, do on a patient, uh, they're all normal. And so they can't figure out what is wrong with people. And s- sadly, most uh, doctors just uh, dismiss it and tell people to go home and rest, and there's nothing that, that can be done about it because they don't know what this is. So. In fact, we, we are setting up a, a, an entire medical education project this year uh, because we have to start training doctors on at least how to diagnose this and how to treat some of the symptoms because most doctors uh, do not know what this is, how to diagnose this and what even to do for the patients.
1: That's gotta be tremendously frustrating, I would think, for those of you professionals in the field who, who want this out there. Yes, it really is.
4: It is, it's just horrible. I live in Los Angeles and they don't even diagnose it here. I mean, it's it's
1: just horrible. <clears throat> um, you mentioned yeah, you live in L.A. Is that where the center is based? Uh,
4: yes, that's where our nonprofit is based. Uh, but basically, we're virtual. So we have people that are all over the world okay. working with us.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, when you talk to doctors, what do they tell you? I mean, surely you know they look at you as somebody with some authority because you do run the nonprofit. But do they just kind of deny you as they would deny a person who's suffering?
4: Well, we we deal with doctors that really know about this disease, helping us kind of create uh, information and resources to train other doctors that uh, basically that we don't know, all the primary physicians that are out there um, that uh, are, are local to, uh, to people. Um, because uh, really, there's only a, literally a handful, not even a dozen doctors that really work on this uh, disease with uh, uh, any type of specialty whatsoever. So... So our, our job and our responsibility right now is to find those doctors, to let them know, and to figure out how they learn so we can get in that space and let them know about this disease that they don't know about. And COVID and long COVID have opened those doors widely for us. So we are taking advantage and leveraging that, mm-hmm. that people who come in and say they're sick even after they've had and they're over this disease, what is wrong with them? And so many of them are, are, are transitioning to ME/CFS or able to open that conversation because most doctors aren't haven't been uh, open to that conversation. You
1: talk about the very few doctors who are working on this. I was kind of wondering how did you get into this? Was there a family member or what led you into something that's very specialized?
4: Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, no, our sixteen-year-old daughter uh, came down with this. Uh, actually, for her, it was sudden onset. Uh, uh, we don't even know why uh, she didn't have an infection. And she just suddenly, she was 16, and I dropped her off at school. And at 8 o'clock in the morning and at 8.20, uh, they called me from the nursing office and said that she was sick. And we ended up in the emergency room. And uh, and again, they didn't know what was wrong with her whatsoever. So it took us 20 different doctors to find out and actually get a diagnosis uh, of uh, ME-CFS. At the time, it was called chronic fatigue syndrome. And we said, "Well, there's so much more to th- than fatigue of what's going on with her." And they said, "Well, that's out of exclusion of everything else. This is what she has. And the only thing you can do at all is is pain management because there is no treatment. So uh, our doctor, our daughter was bedridden and uh, totally bedridden. And she was uh, one of these uh, uh, toppy students and athlete and volleyball player. and and then suddenly she was in bed, and she was bedridden. So, I, uh, I I set out. I said, "We, we got to do something about this," and uh, so that's that's how really I got involved. Because when I started researching it, I found out that there was no other people that were researching this for any type of treatment or help or diagnosis, and I didn't want people to have to go through 20 different doctors to get a diagnosis and. And uh, so I figured uh, we, we needed to do something. And I was in the laboratory diagnostic uh, business, so I was able to, to test every test I could possibly test in the clinical lab and saw that everything was normal. So something else needed to be found out about this. So I, I got, got involved with this uh, uh, because I had to. I was a desperate parent. And uh, that's usually how non- nonprofits in the medical space happen, from desperate parents that are trying to cure their kids and uh and that's really where I was at and I told her as, as soon as she gets out of bed I'm going to set up a foundation to to try to fundraise for this and try to get some researchers together to do this and you said so she, uh
1: you said she was 16 how long ago was this?
4: Uh
1: 2006. Okay. So she's 32 now. Okay. Thank you for yeah. 8665780903 if you want to weigh in. Um, Linda Rosemary writes in to say is there uh Intersection, a
4: common denominator between Lyme and people who are suffering chronic disease. That's a very good question because there definitely is. People who have uh, post-treatment Lyme or chronic Lyme, what they're calling it, um, have very, very similar, if not the same symptoms as uh, ME-CFS. And so what we're hoping in the research world is that whatever we find as far as treatments, uh, that it will cross over and help people who have these these chronic conditions. Because we call, we now call the multi-system chronic complex diseases. And Lyme, chronic Lyme, post-treatment Lyme is definitely one of them, yes.
1: It's kind of interesting uh, as people are becoming more aware of this. I got a, a tweet that came in how someone who wanted to thank you for sharing your story and just talking about this in a public sense uh, she writes that it's kind of amazing to hear a story from someone with ME-CFS. Rarely does anybody know what she's dealing with on a daily basis. And Shelby just wanted to thank you for sharing and bringing awareness. Do you have other people who reach out to you, Hal, and say, gee, thanks for putting a name to what I didn't know?
0: Um, I have a few people. You know, I'm, I'm, I am I'm have this social media presence. And, and every once in a while, I'll get a direct message of someone that says thank you for Speaking out about this illness, I've been, you know, I'm living in silence. So many people are living in silence, suffering. And, uh, you know, not most people don't have the kind of platform that I have. So I'm grateful to be able to
1: call attention to the millions missing. And every once in a while, I hear from one of them. Mm-hmm. Jeff Sinclair, Claire, as you were starting to put this together, were you finding that there's a lot of people out there who really responded?
3: Well, <laughs> I... Uh, I didn't know really much about it, and I think most people didn't. And it wasn't until Hal told me about um, this documentary called Unrest uh, that uh, is a filmmaker who had MECFS put together, and it's amazing. And then I began to understand what he was going through. Um, but, um, you know, it's... it's been an education for everyone, including his family and friends, of uh, trying to understand this as such a mysterious condition that someone looks fine, and then you you soon realize that they just can't function, and they're in intense discomfort, and it's heartbreaking. It's really, um, you know, just one of those I don't know, uh, a profound mystery filled with um, profound frustration too, because there's no there's no treatment. And everyone, you know, you you just hope that there's some cure that we all have such faith in the medical industry that, you know, we're going to come through. But uh, this is a case where that's not happening.
1: He mentioned the documentary Unrest. That's a six-year-old documentary currently showing on Netflix. It's a 28-year-old Ph.D. student who turns the camera on herself to talk about her struggles with chronic fatigue syndrome at that time. Um, Linda, your organization, you mentioned research teams all across America involved in trying to better understand. Wanted to make sure that we mentioned that nearly 2 million Americans have this, more than twice the number of people with multiple sclerosis. Yet last year, MS got about
4: $125 million in research. What did you get? Last year, last year, we raised $7 million. And uh, we've raised about $36 million over the last 10 years. It's very hard because we're raising it in the private space. You know, and people who give us money are really just the people who have this or have somebody uh, or a loved one who has this. It's very difficult to raise money in this space.
1: Not that there's much good that came from COVID. But the idea of bringing attention, do you think that's going to help us to find not just the dollars, but the research and maybe eventually a cause?
4: Yeah, we're all hoping, you know, we we have hope on this, that there's a lot more researchers that are involved with this. And as they research long COVID more, that uh, they'll be able to find some uh, treatments for some of these symptoms that show up uh, in the long COVID world. So we are hoping, and we're all talking to people who have long COVID and researchers and clinicians who are seeing patients with COVID. So it might be the only silver lining of COVID at all, but it will certainly, it has certainly opened the conversation uh, about this disease because this disease has been so stigmatized and, uh, uh, and not validated for so many years. And it's, uh, it, it's really brought it to the forefront, even in a lot of uh, media, luckily.
1: Is there a fear that as it becomes known, we're going to see an overflow of people to the few centers that do work on it?
4: Well, they're already overflowed uh, uh, tremendously. So the ME-CFS researchers, you, you, you really literally have six months to a year wait to even see one of those, the, the clinicians who see patients that have ME-CFS. But there's some long COVID clinics that are being set up uh, all over the United States. and And we are hoping to educate them to... Uh, Let them know what already is known about this particular disease and what how they can help some of the symptoms here Um, So yes, they will be overflowed I mean as far as long COVID they think it'll really double or triple the number of people with ME CFS And it's just horrid to think about how many people are going to be suffering with this chronic disease
1: For those uh, who just joined us we're talking with Linda Tannenbaum for a few minutes more here founder CEO of the Open Medicine Foundation specializes in research on Myalgic encephalomyelitis, the chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, we also have on the show today musician Hal Walker, who's struggling with the disease, and IdeaStream stream public media and reporter and host, Jeff St. Clair, who produced the profile we heard earlier. Wanted to get to the phone. Uh, D is calling from Northeast Ohio. D Linda's on the line with you, as are Hal. And Jeff, go ahead. Welcome. What's your question?
5: Well, hi. It's uh, mostly a comment. Um, I'm quite familiar with uh, much of his description. And for years, this has been going on, and a lot of doctors just either didn't believe me or told me it was something else, Uh, especially women. And now that there's some more male voices and more people getting this because of COVID, I'm hoping there'll be some uh, work towards a solution, but I've been told it's everything from emotional, psychological, uh, CFS, fibro, MCS, multiple chemical sensitivity, Lyme. And really, it just means... It's just another name for they don't know. They just don't know. Um, and you know, there's been nobody really, no fundraisers or community support. And I did come up with something, my own uh, little thought, my thought go-to. I call it self-help. And this is what it is: when you're talking about an it, whatever the it may be—a fear, anxiety, depression, whatever, whatever that you say scares you or bothers you—I say, it could happen. It probably won't, but if it does, I'll deal with it. And I repeat that a lot, and it seems to help. Another thing is to take it a day or an hour at a time. Take what you can while you can, and be grateful. And one of, one of my mottos is, "I'm so glad it's not worse." <laughs> and uh, you know, do what you can while you can. Uh, but I really appreciate finally some information uh, publicly being shut on this issue. Cause it is kind of tough, you know, especially this day age. So I love
1: y'all. Thank you for the call. Do you appreciate it? How do you agree with that? Take what you can while you can deal with it. Our day, week at a time, whatever it takes. I agree with everything she just said. Yes. I'm so grateful. It's not worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid
0: that it might get worse, but if it does, I suppose I'll keep surviving. And, uh, also take it, I'm, I'm more like take it 15 minutes at a time. I have a timer that I set wow. for 15 minutes and you know I can survive the next 15 minutes.
1: Is that something Linda you hear from your daughter uh, 15 minutes a day a little bit of time whatever it takes?
4: Well thankfully our, our daughter was was severe for a few years but she's much better now so she's she's one of the uh, lucky ones uh, probably about five percent of people who really are able to uh, get better uh, and mostly they attributed that to her getting it so young. Um, so she, she is living her life now uh, in, a, in a much better way. So she's not, not at that point, but she was um, at, at that point. Um, so I understand it fully, I saw it and lived with her. Uh, while this was happening,
1: five percent—that's amazing that that many people do recover, or that, that that few people do recover. How I know you have to have hope that uh, as we close here, you have hope that one day you can get to that point where Linda's daughter is, where you can live a more normal life.
0: Uh, I'm not sure how much hope I have,
1: but I'm I'm trying to practice practice that kind of thinking. Yes.
4: Well, Hal, thank you so much for yeah. If I, I'd like to leave with some oh. hope, if I may. You know, we're, we're re- researching this in a very big way. And, and the researchers really do feel that, at some point, this could be reversible, meaning if we find the cause and find a way to treat this, that it's not a deterioration of the body. It's something that could be reversed. And there's a lot of hope there on the research side. There's a lot of research happening. There's a lot of hope. And, and I have hope um, that we will be able to find something and, and get people like yourself, Hal, back to, back to health uh, with this.
1: Linda Tannenbaums you, with the Open Medicine Foundation, thank you. And Hal Walker, thank you for sharing your story. We wish you both
4: the best. Thank you Thank very you much. so much for doing this.
1: Thank Jeff you. S- yeah, Jeff St. Clair, I'll see you upstairs. Good talking to you. Thanks for the report okay. today. Okay. Thanks, Rick.